Talks, podcast by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. Our guest today is Natasha Buczkovic, Executive Director of the Democracy Foundation and member of the Serbian Parliament. Welcome to podcast number 14. Thank you. Thank Good you for inviting you, me. Natasha. Uh, one of the most topical issues in Serbia today and for the past few months and for the next few months is the forthcoming elections. Uh, to boycott or not to boycott? That's the question now. Boycott is a good tool for making some pressure. But uh, my conviction is that uh, political parties are there to hunt for votes and participate in elections. So I think that they should, vote, they should go to elections. In other elections. words, you are against the boycott. You right. think that the opposition should go even though the conditions for free and fair elections do not exist in Serbia? Uh, I think yes, and it is not the first time that we have elections uh, with very big burdens of uh, non-democratic uh, uh, practices. It's, uh, it has been the case in the 90s. It has, we, after 2000, we thought that... Uh, um, this is uh, uh, something that belongs to the past. Something that belongs to the past, and that we will never experience it anymore. But uh, we realize that actually reforms are <laughs> well, not irreversible. A, so it takes, we are here. It takes a generation to change the mindset. Right. But Natasha, uh, isn't this will, will the result of um, an electoral process under such unfair conditions, where the opposition? Uh, participates, give legitimacy to the next parliament and the next government, even though the process is deeply flawed. Yes, the process is, is uh, uh, really very, very difficult, and the atmosphere in the parliament is very difficult, and the opposition's rights have been seriously violated and breached in the, in the last two years. Uh, that's true. But at the same time, my question is, if we see that there are a lot of parties that will participate in elections and that are actually of anti-European orientation or uh, Eurosceptic, that we might end up with... So, first, they will give the legitimacy to the parliamentary elections uh, anyway. and to the new government uh, because the opposition is not uh, such a big unified body. Uh, with a more significant uh, percentage in the electorate as unified. Especially being as divided as it is, unfortunately. As it is, yes. And then I, I'm afraid that we will end up with having a parliament with very, very heavy anti-European opposition, which would actually... I don't think or quasi, that... Or quasi-opposition, Or quasi-opposition, quasi okay, but certainly anti-European. Uh, and uh, so against this transformational uh, 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 potential of the European integration process. And uh, this will certainly uh, push forward the majority, which we all expect will not change significantly, but will make... Uh, um, uh, will push them even uh, uh, more to the... Uh, to slowing down of the uh, of the reforms in the country. So I if think can, that if we the can opposition. Talk about the reforms at all. Yeah. Yes. So it's. Uh, I I agree. But if you have if you have an opposition which pushes you more towards some kind of uh, uh, behavior, then you're more likely to do it than if. Uh... <laughs> but weren't you? I mean, you're a member of parliament, and I'm sure that you have been many times frustrated by how impossible it is to actually do, um, come up with a motion, say something, 
when the ruling majority is so massive and simply ignores you, filibusters you. Yes, that's right, but it's not for the first time. And then I also want to stress that the situation has become unbearable, particularly with the way the debate on budget went on two years ago, where actually the opposition amendments were not able to be elaborated to be and to be presented. And actually, this was the first massive uh, violation of opposition rights in general, because, okay, we may have uh, some very strong debates and maybe sometimes not very polite words in these debates, but that's that's Parliament. But if you if you really violate the right of uh, of a member of Parliament, of parliamentary groups, and of the opposition as a whole to present their amendments by filibustering from the majority side, then it's a very big problem. Why? Interestingly, the European Union is. Putting, applying pressure on the opposition parties to participate in the election. They have very clearly repeated over and over again, both the EU, both the uh, United States, that they are against the boycott. Why? Uh, well, I think that uh, they also consider what I have said, that uh, they are, uh, it is of the interest of all those stakeholders that advocate for uh, Serbia approaching the EU to have the representatives of that part of the electorate that actually can and is interested to push Serbia towards the Europe. If we but don't have those political parties in the parliament, then we can imagine that the EU voice in Serbia will be uh, 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 drastically there a, reduced. There is a much more cynical view of this, this particular pressure, which is that it is expected that at some point, most probably in the next year, uh, President Vucic will have to come uh, to reach an agreement uh, with Pristina, that there will have to be a solution to the Kosovo issue. Exactly. And since something like that will have to be ratified in the parliament, the West wants the parliament to be representative, i.e. not to have only members of the ruling party and its uh, various uh, uh, servants in one shape or form or another. Yeah, well, it's part of what I've said. Uh, <laughs> agreement with Pristina is also part of the reforms or the moves or the decisions that we have to that we have to make. And uh, certainly, all reforms and uh, the the solution to the open qu uh, questions that we have, including the one with with uh, Pristina with Kosovo, is uh, actually uh, you must have as wide support. Uh, and as wide ownership of the process, of the process so that it can be uh, really uh, uh, rooted in the society, like every reform, no? We'll see. Yes, indeed. It, uh, you I know, think to succeed, it's uh, Especially if you want it to succeed, yes. If you want it, that's also the question on the side of the opposition, how they see this process. And uh, there have been... Uh, um, some statements, different, different views, different different, views very on different that. Views, so it's yes. not uh, the opposition the is not uh, really unified on that issue as well. Nor many others. Yeah, uh, exactly. Let us turn our attention towards the latest uh, policy paper by the uh, European Policy Center, which is curbing the executive bias in EU enlargement policy for a stronger democracy in the Western Balkans. Basically, in a nutshell, what this policy paper says is that uh, the European Union in the accession process should not only talk to the executive branch, that's what they call the executive bias, uh, that it should pay much more attention to the parliament, pay much more attention to the uh, 
uh, attitudes of the civil society, etc., etc. So do not only talk with the executive branch. What's your take on this? I cannot agree more than uh, this paper is really very, very, very good and uh, very um, uh, provocative for further debate on how the enlargement process will look like. Uh, I, I agree with this, uh, with this uh, uh, finding that uh, the dialogue uh, between the executive alone is not sufficient. Why is that? Because uh, we have seen this dialogue to be reduced actually to the taking the boxes process. Yes. And so nobody, is, uh, 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 nobody examines what is happening afterwards. And afterwards, it is very important how we actually apply yes, the, the laws yes. and in how... The Balkans, in the Balkans, we're famous for uh, adopting, but not necessarily implementing. However, let me, let me counter what you just said. By the way, I yeah. agree with you, but I also see another problem. If you have a parliament which is as compliant as the Serbian parliament is here and now and today, and not just here, but in a couple of other countries in the neighborhood... What could be then the role of the parliament? Why include it at all if it's just going to rubber stamp whatever the executive says? Well, yes, we have a lot of problems with the parliament. Uh, the, it is a question of how the majority understand its role. Uh, my fears is that uh, the majority don't underst- does not understand that it cannot really... Uh, behave in accordance with that tyranny of... Oh, but uh, they can, but they can, yes, they, they are. Yes, they can, but they're not fulfilling the, the public interest in that way. So, the question is... the public interest is important to them at all? Uh, no, but it should be. Yes, it should be. It, it should be. And uh, the it is very important that they understand and that they accept uh, that actually all of us, members of parliament, represent all citizens of Serbia, and that if they violate the rights of one opposition member of parliament, they actually violate the rights of of the citizens of Serbia. Okay, it may be ideological, it may be, uh, you know, very idealistic, but, uh, uh, however, I think that we are all, also my interlocutors from the European Union, they now find that we should have much more participatory uh, methodologies in addressing the reforms and not only that I also think that you know we cannot evaluate any reform if we don't see how rooted it is in the society and how actually all those that should apply the new law the new strategy how they act and that's something that should be uh, I think evaluated not only by parliamentarians by civil society, certainly, but also by in local communities. Every word you say, I cannot agree more with it. It's just that it is contrary to what is actually the practice in Serbia today. I agree. How do we change that? Well, first, we have to have freedom of media. That's, I think, the biggest political problem in Serbia. Because uh, if we don't have the freedom of media, if uh, our uh, right to freedom of expression is so seriously violated, in every every day, uh, um, whether we are a parliamentarian, a journalist, uh, um, a civil society activist, uh, I think that uh, we cannot uh, reach to the citizens, and that is very important. How actually the citizens are informed, 
are they able to, to no, they're, make they're some... obviously not. I mean, if we look simply at the affairs that have sort of broken out in the very, very few independent media over the past just couple of months, the Jovanica affair, exactly. the, the Krushik affair, the, the uh, plagiarism, plagiarized diplomas and PhDs, etc., etc., that would have been enough in any... Uh, let's call it a normal state to bring down the government a long time ago. However, most of the people in Serbia do not even know about any of this. Yes, exactly. But at the same time, I think that, uh, um, you know, we have to come down and talk to those people because we also have to understand their priorities. The question When is, you say we, political parties? I think we're parties? political parties. I think civil society activists. I think all those that care about democracy first in Serbia and reforms and European orientation of Serbia. Because obviously, you know, there is a very large division in the society. And this division is not healthy. And uh, it is the present government that has built very much of its... Uh, uh, dominant uh, position on this division. Us they and them. Us and them. Us and them. They fueled it. They nurtured it. And uh, th this is not healthy. Uh, this is not healthy for any society. And uh, it is not really that not you even can... the American or British right now exactly. when it comes to impeachment or Brexit. Exactly. So we're not the only one on the... <laughs> no, the... no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> but it, it should not be a consolating fact, however. We mentioned civil society a couple of times. Let's go back to the policy paper of the European Policy Center, which uh, it emphasizes the role that the civil society should play in the EU accession process. But let's for a moment imagine that Serbia has a superb civil society sector. There are five fabulous think tanks, there are five fabulous activism, etc., etc. But yet their impact is almost invisible. How can the civil society achieve more? Yes, and I think also that there is a degrading, uh, degrading trend, deteriorating trend in uh, what the civil society organizations do achieve. I think that at the very beginning of the process of accession negotiations in 2014, the government was much more open towards the NGOs and yes. CSOs. And, uh, you know, we all felt that uh, cooperation with the National Convention on the EU will be huge and large and that our attitudes and uh, our findings will be uh, um, well uh, accepted and uh, responded with respect and so on. So we see it's not the case. And we see that it is less and less the case. Uh, we see that uh, this dialogue is very uh, artificial, that it is very formal in sense that, you know, we have some meetings with the members of the negotiating teams, but when it comes to their responding to our comments, uh, we don't receive anything, there are no el elaborations, so on. So, and there are more and more so-called gongos, uh, quasi that, that, that's another. Uh, quasi that, that's another, that's another problem. Uh, so the government actually, this majority, I would say, but the, uh, which is, of course, reflected, reflects the government uh, behavior, they tend to make the new intellectual elite, the new political elite, the, the, new, new, media. the new media and the new civil society. But this cannot uh, endure the test and it is a very false attempt because it does not destroy what we have, real, real NGOs, real intellectual elite, real uh, media, because it only fuels more division in the society. And so... Uh, that is not something that works. For the government, I think, they, are, they, they face very, very strong challenge in, uh, in, in, in uh, 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 
and the pressure that the EU starting pushing on, on the government with the last progress report, which was significantly more harsh than the previous one. Yet still disappointingly mild, according to the to the opinions of the opposition. And yes, but we expect the, the next society. one will be even more more severe. I, and well, time passes and we lose time yes. in the meantime. Yes, well, uh, we know the reasons for that, and we know the reasons uh, why the opinions of the of many of NGOs since 2014-15 have not been taken into consideration, have not been incorporated in the progress report. Maybe they took it into consideration, but not uh, uh, published it. Uh, so, however, I, I, I want to stress that... Uh, uh, that the government is now under stronger pressure of the EU on one side, and on the other side it is faced with electoral processes here. The problem of this government, in my opinion, is that it has the electorate, which is actually completely uh, indifferent, if I may say so, for which the process of European integration does not have significant, Any meaning. Any significant meaning. And so it always has to swim, to play between those two, uh, pressure and domestic electorate. And, uh, that, uh, and, <laughs> and they're not also quite sure uh, at any given moment what is it exactly that they want. Do they actually exactly. want genuine uh, EU accession or not? Because realistically speaking, and this is not characteristic only for Serbia, but for the fall of the Western Balkans, the current governments, if these countries were to enter the EU tomorrow, they would go. They would be. They, they, there would be no place for them in the EU. Yes, but then, uh, yes, that's, that's also a big problem because you know the the all the all the countries, uh, new member states of the EU, like Hungary, Poland, uh, Czech Republic, and so on. When they started the, the accession process, they had the end of the process very visible. Yes, which uh, we don't. And foreseeable, and foreseeable within the mandate of one political. Uh, group or mandate even one government two governments but the same political uh, there was light scene. at the end of the tunnel which was clearly there and it was not a permanently moving one yes like and we have here so the political stakeholders the political the, the key political actors could identify themselves with the process where here, as the object, the end of the process uh, of accession is not foreseeable, then the political actors ask themselves whether this is something that we will benefit that is worth from. It. Exactly. Let us wrap up uh, with, with, with a, on a personal note. You're both a civil society activist and you're a politician and a member of parliament. First of all, will you be standing for parliament again? Well, no, I'm a member of the Democratic Party. If it boycotts the, the, the parliament, uh, um, I don't expect that uh, I will... Uh, I don't expect I will be on the list of the Democratic Party any, anyhow. Uh, I was rather critical <laughs> to some of its uh, standpoints recently, but uh, only because of the fact that I think that the Democratic Party should be a driving force in uh, advocating for reforms and for European accession. So uh, I don't think that uh, uh, I will be running uh, on behalf of the Democratic Party anymore. And did the civil society activist and the politician inside you ever have a quarrel? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Who won? Uh, it depends. 
sometimes the civil society activists, sometimes, uh, for example, when uh, in the Democratic Party we we uh, accused our colleagues for their anti-migrant standpoints, then it was civil society activists that won. I was rather harsh on my colleagues on that, <laughs> that day. Sometimes it was the other way around, but... Uh, Natasha Vučković, the Executive Director of the Democracy Foundation and Member of the Serbian Parliament, thank you very much for being a part of our podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me.